Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market. Hey, North Texas food fans, welcome to Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News. Each week, we dish on the local restaurant scene, food and drink trends, cooking and shopping tips, and unpack everything that makes North Texas one of the most vibrant, diverse, and ambitious food scenes in the country. I'm your host, food editor Aaron Bookie, and today we're talking about fun celebrity sightings at restaurants and bars, sandwich shop news, and date night ideas. Plus, we'll hear from chef Julian Rodarte, who at just 29 years old has recently taken over as CEO of Trinity Groves in West Dallas. It's going to be really fun, and it all gets started right after this. Central Market is really into food, like fish flown in so fresh it still has jet lag into food. Our sourdough starter has been around since grunge was a thing into food. We're talking more prime cuts than a greatest hits album into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then we're the HQ for you. Whether you're a make-every-recipe-in-the-cookbook foodie or a my-favorite-recipe-is-reheat type who just digs the delectable, no place makes every day more delicious like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. We're so excited to have you here for our show. This is going to be a good one, so be sure to visit dallasnews.com slash food after this for detailed show notes of everything we talk about. And if you want us to answer your questions or talk about something specific, send us a voice memo via our form at dallasnews.com slash food or email us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. Later on, food reporter Sarah Blaskovich will be chatting with Julian Rodarte, the new CEO of Trinity Grows. Right now, Sarah joins us along with food reporter Claire Baller to talk about food and restaurant news. One of the funnest things that I've seen in the last week or so is that there have been a lot of celebrity sightings at local restaurants and bars. Sarah, you even wrote about a big one. Yes, Kevin Hart went to Happiest Hour. This was a promotional situation, so he had planned to go there and they told people a couple hours in advance, hey, Kevin Hart is pouring his new tequila. And if you got that email, you could go to Happiest Hour. And then also while he was here for a comedy show recently, he went to Goody Goody Liquor to sell signed bottles of the tequila. So the thing about celebrities, though, like showing up in places that you've been to is I don't know if people care that it's promotional (laughs) or not. I just think the idea that someone who's super famous went to a place that you might like or even hate is like cool. It seems like they're like you. And so when I wrote that story last week, I thought, I think people are going to care about this. And uh, in terms of page views and interest, they totally did. And people seem to love Kevin Hart. Like he's just sort of more of an inspirational kind of guy. Like people follow what he does. And then Nick Rollo tweeted over the weekend that Beto O'Rourke was in town at Window Seat, which is a coffee shop. And where is it? It's on Greenville Avenue in Dallas. And here's the thing. I was at that coffee shop. I walked there with my two (laughs) little girls and husband on Saturday morning. And like they like made a whole mess with whatever kind of snack we got them. It was like one of those coffee shop mornings. And then we left. And then I hear, you know, the Beto has come through. And I was like, gosh, we missed him by a couple hours maybe. Darn. Whenever you hear that there is a celebrity visiting your nearby restaurant or bar, you always want to know what they ordered. Yeah. And Nick, of course, paid attention. Good job, Nick. He said (laughs) in his tweet, can neither confirm nor deny that he made the right call in ordering a La Casita homemade strawberry Pop-Tart. So Beto knows what he's doing when he's selecting baked goods. And Nick has such a good sense of humor, but I would like to confirm, as (laughs) would my two-year-old, that that La Casita Uh Pop-Tart is like the business. That is the bougiest Pop-Tart you could ever have. It is super duper delicious. And my two-year-old gets it all over her face every time she orders it from window seat. And so what are some of your other favorite celebrity sightings? I know we've seen Shaq everywhere because he has his restaurant. So he's popping up everywhere. But what celebs have y'all seen out and about? I never see celebrities out and about. (laughs) 
and maybe I just like don't recognize people. <laughs> I don't know. But back in the day, I was a waitress at Hotel Zaza mm-hmm. in Uptown at the bar there. And that is a hot spot for celebrities. I don't know if it still is. But that's the only place that I have seen celebrities in Dallas. Um, and I think it was just like a place that people would come stay when they were filming right. or here for concerts or things like that. But I've I've just never casually run into a celebrity. Sarah, what about you? I saw Owen Wilson on the patio at Standard Poor Ooh, years ago. Good one. And he was on the patio in the corner facing McKinney Avenue, which made me think that maybe he wanted to take a picture with me. <laughs> and so I, I politely asked from the street, Owen Wilson, would you like to take a picture of me and he said no thank you so I said yes sir and I kept walking Oh my because that's his prerogative to say no but also he was so very visible that I thought yeah I thought maybe he wanted <laughs> to be seen by me wait wait Sarah did you ask him if he wanted to take a picture with you or of you no with me no no I wanted to be in it that makes more sense yeah no oh that would have been the best Claire if I was like hey hey guy with the blonde hair could you take our picture <laughs> No, no, but he did not want his picture taken, and I was respectful of that. I've also seen Mark Cuban several places in Dallas. I feel like he's somebody that people keep seeing. Right. I saw him at the Sweet Tooth Hotel, which is not a restaurant. It is an art installation. Oh. He complimented me. I was wearing an insane hat because they had silly hats that you could put on, and he told me he liked my hat and then walked <laughs> away. And I was like, that was an interaction. Yeah, that was like a normal <laughs> human interaction. He is a normal <laughs> human. See, this is the thing about celebrities that is so cool is when you see one and you you talk to them. I mean, sometimes it can be disappointing because they're humans and like you think maybe they're superhumans, but right. also like a Mark Cuban moment, you're like, oh, that guy eats just like the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen many in Dallas. I did see Dirk once at Homewood Restaurant. He was sitting two tables away from me and I still have no idea how he folded himself into the tiny seat because <laughs> I didn't even recognize him at first. Then he stood up and I was like, oh, that's Dirk. You're like that man is so tall. Oh yeah, I know him. So anyway, if any of y'all have cool celeb sightings at restaurants and bars in Dallas, please email us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. And I want to hear what that person ate or drank because <laughs> that's the tip. Right. Beto's going to throw La Casita even more business. Which is awesome. Moving on to some other news. Sarah, you wrote recently about Antoine's sandwich shop closing. Yeah, this is a bummer. Yeah. I have a soft spot for restaurants that have been around a long time and Antoine's Foods had been around since 1962. Its current owner had had it for over 40 years. And it was kind of near the World Trade Center and Dallas Market Hall. And so I think it tended to feed a lot of lunchtime crowds of people kind of in those high rises looking for a cheap sandwich. And they just said they're ready to retire. Rent was going up and ingredient prices, of course, Mm -hmm. were going up, which we've talked about a lot. But more interestingly, the owner of this place said, I don't want to charge a lot for a sandwich. I don't think it's fair to charge 10 to $12 for a sandwich. Wow. And uh, I do think it's yeah fair to charge 10 to $12 for a sandwich. And as he knows, most of his competitors are charging that. So it's a valiant thing to say, but it's it's tricky because he knew he couldn't be competitive and pay his bills. And he said, if I cut my losses now, I won't lose a lot of money. And so, you know, we lost a 60-year-old sandwich shop. Hmm. Sad. Yeah, I don't think 10 to $12 is ridiculous for a sandwich. I mean, there are definitely some places where prices have just skyrocketed, almost doubled. I think he was just trying to be respectful to his customers yeah. who had known his prices for a long time. And I think he didn't cater to a high-end customer. So, right. you know, he had folks coming in who were looking for a sandwich that costs a little over five bucks and he might have priced them out. The reality today is nobody gets a sandwich for five bucks or 
10 bucks or 12 bucks from him, there's just no more sandwiches. So I hope this doesn't happen more. I hate to see a longtime place close because there's so much history. And there was some other sad news this week, Claire, that you reported on about Rye Restaurant in McKinney. Last Monday, Rye in McKinney had a big fire. It's now closed indefinitely and they don't know when they'll be able to reopen or if they can even reopen in the same building. The fire broke out Monday morning, and Monday is the one day of the week when the restaurant is closed. So thankfully, nobody was there. Yeah, that's good. And um, the fire department said that the the fire started in the alley behind the restaurant. They don't know the cause yet. They're still investigating. But it basically burned out a significant portion of the restaurant's kitchen. So weirdly enough, the front part of the restaurant looks totally normal. Mm. There might be a little bit of smoke damage. But the the dining room and everything looks fine. But the part of the restaurant that really matters is totally unusable and they have no utilities of any kind. They're trying to figure out what to do. So they there is a second rye location now open in Dallas on Lower Greenville. So they moved as much staff as they could to that location. And they're talking about maybe they operate in McKinney as a sort of pop-up mm. or something until they're able to reopen. But they don't think that that will be until the start of 2023. Whoa. Yeah. It's pretty devastating. Um, I'm so sorry to hear that. That's a great restaurant with some good restaurateurs. It really is. And the building that they were in is a historic building oh, in no. downtown McKinney. And so it's it's a sad it's a sad thing as well. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see them return to that yeah. building. It sounded like they were already starting to outgrow it mm-hmm. a little bit. Think about the work that it takes to get a building usable after a fire like that, but especially when that's a historical building, there's so many other loops that you have to jump through to get everything back up to code and the way that the city wants it for a historic building. So I think we'll see them open in a new spot, but they are planning to stay in McKinney. Okay. So those who live up there can rest assured they are definitely committed to reopening in McKinney. Thanks guys. Stay tuned as we chat about fun date night ideas and hear from Julian Rodarte, the new CEO of Trinity Gross. Central Market is really into food. Like when we say cheese, it's in 12 languages into food. Butchers, bakers, and sushi roll makers into food. We're talking so obsessive about quality you can shop blindfolded into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then let us turn your shopping list into a treasure map. Get inspired, get adventurous, or just get a chef-made dinner when you've got more taste buds than time. No place makes every meal more amazing like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. I sat down with Julian Rodarte this week and discussed his new role as CEO of Trinity Groves. Julian, I'm so glad you're here talking to me today. Before we get into your current role at Trinity Groves, talk to me about how you got involved with this restaurant. Yeah. Phil Romano has actually kind of been a part of my life uh, since I was born. My dad was doing cozy meals with him back in San Antonio. And so when I was born... It was in the middle of of Phil and my dad doing a restaurant together. Uh, And Phil always made the comment that he didn't keep my dad busy enough because he had time to have a kid. Um, So (laughs) it's a little Phil Romano humor for you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Years go by. They have a successful partnership in in Cozy Mel's. Cozy Mel's ends up getting sold to Brinker. Phil goes and does other restaurants. And my dad jumps into the corporate world with Brinker and does uh, Cozy Mel's. Cozy Mel's gets sold off and he does on the border with them. And then uh, he ends up doing Chili's as well. So he Mm -hmm. kind of like works his way through different restaurants at Brinker. In that whole process, I graduate culinary school. Phil kind of like hears, oh, you know, I heard your son just graduated. You know, we've had successful Mexican restaurants in the past. Why don't we do another one at Trinity Groves where we're lacking Mexican food? 
my dad calls me and he's like, hey, buddy, you know, so I talked to Phil and I was like, what did he say? And he's like, well, you know, they're looking for somebody to do a Mexican restaurant. And I was like, we're doing it. And he was like, I didn't even get to the part where he asked us to do it yet. And I was like, no, 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 like we're, this is what we're doing. Like we are absolutely doing it. And you um, were young at the time. I yeah, I was you were the 20, youngest chef in Trinity Groves. Yeah, I was 23. Yeah, wow. I was also kind of working in like the food corporate world uh, yeah. for a soup and sauce manufacturer. I was desiring to get back into restaurants because I missed the rush of like working at, you know, fairings in, in the Ritz Carlton and yeah. like being on the line and, and doing the whole restaurant thing. And so when the opportunity came, I was just like, dude, this is the perfect father son experience. I grew up, you know, in the kitchen with my dad. That's where I learned everything. To me, it just made so much sense of like taking what we used to do at home and bringing it to Dallas in a, in a way that, you know, we could do it professionally. And when Beto and Son opened, this was a restaurant incubator, Trinity yes. Groves was, right? Yes. So in addition to you and your dad having a successful Mexican restaurant, there were were also a lot of other young chefs trying to get their start who got some seed money from Phil Romano and his investors to start in Trinity Groves. And at the time, at the beginning of Trinity Groves, I thought it was one of the best places to find chef talent and to sort of watch it grow. Over the years, a lot has changed at Trinity Groves, including that a lot of those chefs either launched other places or learned that their great business idea couldn't make money. Your restaurant, Beto and Son, worked your CEO of Trinity Groves today. So connect those dots. We do Beto and Son, and the plan uh, initially was, okay, let's open more Beto and Sons. Right. Um, at the moment where we're kind of planning on doing all of those things and looking for other real estate and, and vacant restaurant spaces to put another Beto and Son, COVID hits. <laughs> and that really stunted, I guess, our growth in that, like, we were looking at signing leases in multiple areas, and then it all fell through. Yeah. Post-COVID, Beto and Son is one of two original restaurant concepts that are still here from pre-COVID. That's right. Um, along with the two uh, retail spots, Cake Bar and, and Kate Weiser, it's basically Beto and St. Rocco's. A lot changed after COVID here at Trinity Groves, to your point. Phil kind of decided, you know what, I don't know that the incubator model makes business sense in a post-COVID world. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of great chefs and a lot of great culinary minds. And then you have some other ones that, you know, unfortunately, when COVID hit that whole business side, it really strained their abilities to make it in a COVID world. I think Phil just kind of pumped the gas and said, you know what, I know how to run restaurants from a business standpoint and that's what we need to do sure um and so that's when phil tapped me on the shoulder and was like hey you've done great with betos it's continued its success pre-covid into a post-covid world we would like you to come and create more concepts as well as take over the current concepts and figure out ways to help drive more traffic and also generate more money so he asked 29 year old you yes. <laughs> to be the ceo of this restaurant correct park. and actually when he asked me i was 28 too so yeah it's a big so, deal yeah absolutely no it's it's a huge deal uh, but what i love about Phil is he doesn't see age. Phil's the type of guy that like, you know, when he meets somebody and he sees something special in them, nothing else matters. Age doesn't matter. Ethnicity doesn't matter. Nothing matters except for you have talent that he sees and he just needs to know what you need to be successful. Like, what are you missing? That's one thing that I will always be very appreciative of Phil is that not only, you know, was I young, you know, when he first taught me to do Betos, but I was still young to even be a CEO and, and run a multi, you know, unit restaurant group that didn't phase him at all whatsoever. If anything, he, it, it excited him because he saw it as an opportunity to keep mentoring and coaching, which is, I think, one of his biggest passions. Yeah, and you were sort of born into it. I did not know that you knew yeah. Phil Romano yeah. when you were a child. He came to my first birthday party. Yeah. Oh my uh, God. Yeah. 
<laughs> uh, when I was turning one, I, and of course, I don't remember this, but my dad, you know, tells me like, yeah, you know, we just kind of casually, I was at the restaurant one day and it was like, hey, Phil, you know, my kid's turning one, you should come over. And he's like, and Phil showed up, you know, <laughs> like, and Phil tells it all the time. He's like, I've known this kid. I was at his first birthday party, you know, and he was at my first baptism. You know oh, I mean? Yeah. He was very much a part of like my early, early childhood life. Yeah. And for anybody listening who isn't familiar with Phil Romano, he created Romano's Macaroni Grill. He created Eatsy's Cozy Mel with uh, your dad, yes. Julian. And to throw it back to Cozy Mel's, I grew up in Plano and there was one near yep. me in Plano and I loved that restaurant. Yeah. I'm sad we don't have Cozy Mel's anymore up I here. I am too. Because I, I miss that coastal seafood, like Mexican kind of feel. Yeah. You it know? made a lot of sense. And at the time in North Texas was special. Yes. So what are your first steps as CEO? What do we need to do in order to make Trinity Grove's the place that you and your friends and maybe me and my friends want to hang out? I think there was two major needs that we saw. First and foremost, Trinity Grove's needed bars because it was full of restaurants with bars, but there was no bar. Yeah. In any major place in Dallas, whether it be Deep Ellum or Uptown, there are a combination of restaurants and bars that really make up those communities. And Trinity Grove's was missing that. I think a lot of people don't know too how much money can be made off of alcohol. Absolutely. The margins there are just so much better than food. So the second thing we realized is that we had a ton of vacant spaces. So we needed we needed new life. We needed, oh, Phil, Phil has this word. He, he says, um, critical mass. Sorry, he just came to me. And he says, whenever we do something, you'd have to, we have to do it in a critical mass. What he means kind of in that way is like, if we're going to open restaurants, we need to open a lot very, very quickly in a short amount of time. That way that creates that buzz. It's not like we open one restaurant a year and it's like, oh, well, we got one restaurant in Trinity Groves. We'll wait till next year to have the next one. You know, like Phil's all about like, if we're going to do something, we're going to do a lot and we're going to do it fast and we're going to make a big noise. We're going to make a big splash with Beto's. One of the things I remember him telling me is like, we need a critical mass of margaritas. Like you need to have Mm. all these crazy margaritas. So that inspired me. I was like, oh, we're going to do a liquid nitrogen margarita, you know? And that's kind of where some of these thoughts and, you know, Phil's mentorship. I have seen it on Instagram. Yes. Which is the whole point. Right. That's what Phil is all about. Like we are going to create stories by opening these restaurants. We're going to change Trendy Groves overnight. Now we're sitting in Lexi's, which is that first restaurant of this hopefully beginning of this critical mass stage. Okay. So Lexi's was technically your second restaurant opening here, but your first restaurant opening as the CEO. Absolutely. Describe this restaurant to me and who is Lexi? I'll start with who Lexi is because she then helps me describe the restaurant. So Lexi is my wife. Uh, Her name is Alexa, but by her family, she's known as Lexi. When we were talking about this concept, it was actually 11 months ago. She and I were sitting in a uh, restaurant in San Antonio. We got these two cocktails at a bar and they were very elegant and feminine. We kind of just talked about how in tech, It's a very masculine feel in restaurants. Mm -hmm. Cowhide, leather, wood, different irons. Like, yes, but exactly. Through our travels, we had been to some amazing, more feminine feeling restaurants, whether it be in Miami or New York or, or Vegas or LA. And we're like, what would that look like in a Dallas market? My wife, Alexa, is a very feminine individual. She loves dresses and, um, and high heels. She was Dallas before she even knew because she's from San Antonio. Yes. So she was Dallas before she even knew what Dallas was. <laughs> I love that. And so we just kind of started putting it together. She dreamed up what it would look like. The pastel pink and the baby blues and the cream walls with different like sconces and light fixtures. So she just kind of started dreaming up what that would be and how that would feel as a restaurant. And then I tried to bring the food 
food and the cocktails to what she was trying to create. And we just kind of met in the middle and had a lot of help along the way. John Paul Valverde of Koval Design helped bring her idea to life. Uh, Aubrey Murphy, who's our director of culinary, who came from uh, John Tezar's Knife Steakhouse, he helped me with the menu and developing the recipes. We had a lot of help. It wasn't just the two of us. And what kind of food do we eat here that matches the ambiance and maybe also that Lexi likes to eat? The first thing about what is the food at Lexi's, it's local. It's all about what North Texas has to offer. That's first and foremost. And then secondly, it's got to be experiential. It can't just be here's your plate of food. You know, there's got to be more to a restaurant than just I'm hungry and this is a means to an end. It needs to be experiential. It needs to be something that you're going to be excited about and something that you're going to want to share with your friends on social media. So that was kind of where the whole vending machine came from. <laughs> there's okay. a vending machine in this <laughs> restaurant. I, yes. I need to know more. Yeah. So that's where the champagne vending machine came from. Um, Alexa used to work in the uh, wine and spirits world. Uh-huh. And uh, one of the brands, that she uh, worked for was uh, Moet, Moet Chandon. And um, when she was working for them, she realized that they had these vending machines where they would sell Moet. But she was like, this needs to be in the restaurant. And I remember when we kind of first brought this to the team, everybody kind of like, this is a great idea, but how does it work in a restaurant? Like, do we really want people like lined up to like put coins or, you know, run a card in a vending? Like, how how does it work functionally in a restaurant? Right. She had this idea called the Moet moment. And basically uh, you get these little gold Moet tokens that the server comes and brings to you. They can then basically walk you to the vending machine where you place it in there. There's three different uh, types of Moet. We've got the Brute Champagne, we've got the Sparkling Rosé, and then we've got their Nectar, which is kind of like a sweeter Sparkling Rosé. And then kind of pick which ones they want, and then uh, once they get it, the server opens it up for them, pours it to them at the table, and that's kind of like that Moet experience. And um, But you actually walk over with your coin, mm -hmm. and everybody in the restaurant watches people do that. Yes. And go, what's that person doing over there? I mean, that sounds like it's so part of your experiential Absolutely. As soon as you walk in it is in the smack dab center of the restaurant yep. so that when you go up there, everybody can see it. That's smart. I bet people love that. We knew it was going to be popular. What we didn't realize is how popular it was going to be. <laughs> we sold hundreds in our first week of opening um, and we ran out a couple times. <laughs> You're a champagne bar, whether you wanted to be yes, one or not. Yes, exactly. It very much became that way very quickly. Considering that you came up you know, with your dad working for Brinker and then he learning from Phil, it does seem like it's in the cards for you to create one, if not several concepts that could become the next chain restaurant that we all know. That is definitely the hope. And that's, you know, I remember growing up and hearing very similar kind of conversations from Phil and my dad as far as, you know, when we create something, it it has to be replicatable. It has to be scalable. It has to be something that you can teach anybody. Um, And that's why I think both my dad and Phil are such great mentors is because they build things that they can teach to anybody. Phil Romano's calling me right now. (laughs) His his ears must have been buried in. I know. That's awesome. Okay, last question, Chef. We're sitting here in Lexi's. What is the one thing you want to eat here? A couple of things that I absolutely love right now are the tuna tartare because it's fresh, it's light, it's the summer. It's been very hot this summer in Dallas. Yeah. And also, Chef Aubrey, he, he's spent five years in Hawaii. And when it comes to tuna, he is uh, absolutely fabulous. That recipe very much came from him. And he has this pairing that he does. I'm not going to share too much of his secrets, but his white soy marinade with the tuna is absolutely out of this world. Well, that sounds delicious. It's so <laughs> nice to talk to you, Chef. Thank, Thank you. you for walking us through what's going to happen with Trinity Groves. And I'm excited to see what happens next. Absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time. Always great to talk to you. Stay with us. Coming up in our next segment, we'll answer a listener question about date night ideas. That's right after this. Hey, listeners. This is Christopher Wynn. 
I'm the arts and entertainment editor for the Dallas Morning News. And that, thankfully, includes the food team that you're listening to right now. What I love about this beat is that food stories are people stories. Restaurants say a lot about who we are, our culture, and the health and well-being of our communities. If you want to help continue supporting this good work, it's easy. Just subscribe to the Dallas Morning News and become a member. You'll find a special offer just for listeners at dallasnews.com listen. Welcome back. We've got a great listener memo for this segment. Kristen from Dallas wants to hear about date night. Hi, my name is Kristen. I live in East Dallas and I work at Oak Hill Academy. And when we are able to escape the kids for date night, we've been going to a little French bistro in Lake Highlands, kind of tucked away, called RM1220 Bistro. And what sucked us in was their $10 French burger night, which sounds a little boring, but it's not. It's a wonderful burger with brie on it, with these wonderful little tiny, tiny skinny fries. The atmosphere is also wonderful. You walk in, there's a little white tablecloth, and they don't really like children there. So even better. Uh, no kids menu. You feel like an adult there. Wonderful cocktails, and it's perfect. But we need some new ideas to get us out of a rut. What do you ladies suggest? Thanks, Kristen. Yeah, I honestly need to get out more for date night also. Um, so Sarah and Claire, do you guys have some ideas for Kristen? I love lounge here in East Dallas. You guys have heard me probably talk about this place before, but when my husband and I get a babysitter, that is like a place that's top of the list for me. It is a bar um, with a, a small kitchen and a small menu um, and it is the kind of place where you can go grab a little table or a seat at the bar and sit and have really good food and really good drinks and um, feel like you are somewhere else for a few hours. I also love Parigi and Oakland. I feel like that's another place that you can kind of escape for a little bit. Yeah, it seems like Parigi is like you kind of feel like you're traveling somewhere. Ooh, good tip. Um, what about you, Sarah? I'm a big date night diner. Um, part of my job is going to new restaurants and I do that a lot during the day, but I bring my husband in the evenings a fair amount too. Another thing we do is if I have reported on a place before it opens, I then go back on my own dime just to try it with the two of us. Because what inevitably happens is I write this new story about this place and then people say, well, how was it? Right. You know, and I don't know maybe because I haven't eaten the food because I wore a hard hat while I was touring the construction site. Uh, or, you know, I saw the menu before it was printed on the pretty paper and I didn't actually eat any of the food. Um, date night's big in my house and we go every probably two weeks someplace. I love Sachet near Highland Park. Yep. I like it because there's always something to learn there if you're a food geek. I always learn something about wine, um, but I even, I find new ingredients or new preparations and I just... We end up talking about food the whole time we're at dinner. And if you love food, that's a really fun thing. Right. Um, in East Dallas, I like Meridian. I think Junior Borgers makes beautiful food, and it that place feels special once you're inside of it. Mm -hmm. Also in East Dallas, a staple I like, Torelli's. I just think that it's sort of sexy in there. It's darkly lit, and there's piano, and it just feels like the kind of place you should be with someone you love. And that's a good date night um, identifier, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, in Oak Cliff, I love Lucia. Every dinner feels special there, I think. And that's part of a date night, too, is feeling special. And then I went to a new place that I am going to write about this week, Katerina's in Fort Worth. This is an Italian restaurant where there's a dress code. Guys are asked to wear a jacket. You put away your cell phone in one of those pouches, and it gets locked in there for the entirety of dinner. And if you need a phone to take a phone call, they bring you a rotary phone. It's hilarious. Where do you buy a rotary phone, even? I didn't ask them that. That's such a good question, Erin. I don't know. Um, 
the internet. I think the internet is where you buy throwback <laughs> things. But if you're looking for a fancy date night, because this place is expensive, you'll spend a couple hundred bucks, especially if you're drinking wine. But Katarina's is an interesting and sort of puzzling place to me. And I think it would be the type of place to go with a partner maybe to celebrate something. Yeah, I love that. And I also love multiple spots that you can visit at once. We love to go like up to downtown McKinney, stroll around, you hit up dinner, go to the pie shop for dessert. I like to hit up like three different places. I love the Bishop Arts area for that reason. Everything is so close. If one place is, you know, full and you can't get in, there are great other options that are in walking distance. The Lakewood area is like that as well. And that's all the time we have for Eat Drink DFW this week. Thank you all for joining, and I hope we've made you hungry for more. Also, we want to hear from you. We want to know what y'all are eating, drinking, trying, and loving, where you're going for date night. We want your questions too, so fill out our form at dallasnews.com food or email us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. We'd love to share your thoughts on a future episode. The show is produced by Julie Fisk. To stay up to date on every episode of the show and hear more from our newsroom, just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please rate the show and give us a good review. Find links to everything we do at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find a special membership offer there just for listeners. For the news, I'm Erin Bookie. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.